invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. And this morning we are in chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. As we remind ourselves from time to time, everything we do in this service, out of everything we do in this service, the only thing that is divine is God's Word. What a pleasure it is to open up His Word and to study it, seeking to handle it rightly, because mishandling God's Word in any way brings dishonor to His name. So let us honor the Lord by studying it closely and rejoicing in it. I ask you to stand with me out of reverence for God's Word as we read our passage together. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'll be reading from verses 1 to 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the Holy Word of God. You may be seated. We begin this morning with a question. How does the gospel impact me in my everyday life? How does the gospel impact me in my everyday life? 
When we think deeply about it, the gospel impacts you and me in the most practical of ways because it addresses our standing before God. If God is my creator and I am in wrong relationship with him, then that's actually the biggest problem I have in my entire life. It's not my bills, not my mortgage, not my family, not my job. My standing with God is the most important relationship that I have. And if I stand in wrong relationship to him, then I'm in a lot of trouble. But if I am in right standing, right relationship with God, then the peace and joy that flows out of that should permeate throughout my entire life. But this morning we look at this passage and we ask, well, what brings me into right relationship with a holy God? Under the law, God prescribed that animal sacrifices would bring ceremonial cleansing so that a holy God could dwell with an unholy people. But can animal sacrifices truly take away sin in any real and lasting sense? This morning, we are going to look at our passage in four sections. And so we have four points this morning. So the first section of verses 1 to 4, and the point there is that shadow sacrifices cannot perfect. Shadow sacrifices cannot perfect. The second section is verses 5 to 10, where the point here is the active and passive obedience of Jesus Christ. And we're going to explain what that means. The active and passive obedience of Jesus Christ. Then thirdly, the third section, verses 11 to 14, Here I've titled the point, Made Perfect, Yet Being Made Holy. Made Perfect, Yet Being Made Holy. And the last little section of verses 15 to 18, Sins Forgiven and Forgotten. Sins Forgiven and Forgotten. So let's dive in and look at that first section, verses 1 to 4, where the point is that shadow sacrifices cannot perfect. So verse 1 again says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that Hebrews has been repeatedly making this contrast between the earthly and the heavenly. The heavenly things are the originals and the realities, while the earthly things are the copies and the shadows. So the old covenant with the sacrifices and ceremonies and rituals and washings, these were copies, these were shadows of the heavenly realities. And so in this verse, verse 1, Hebrews is saying that shadows cannot do what realities can do. Shadows can't do what realities can do. The law that prescribed all of these shadowy things, these copies, was actually pointing forward. It was foreshadowing the good things that were going to come. The true form of the realities is Jesus Christ. And all of the law was pointing forward to him. But because these things are copies and shadows... They cannot accomplish what the original realities can. Let me use a quick illustration 
you, you can't see it very well, but here I've got my hand. And my hand is real, right? But the shadow of my hand, you can't see it, but I can. It's right there. The, the shadow is not real. It's a shadow. It has the outline and silhouette of my hand, but it cannot do what my hand can do. Right? I can pick up, I can pick up a pencil with my hand. Now let me try to pick up the pencil with the shadow of my hand. I'm going to be at this a long time, aren't I? So the shadow cannot do what the, the real thing can do. Or think of a chair, a chair that casts a shadow. How many people are going to try and sit on the shadow? No, you're not going to do that because you know that the shadow can't do what the real thing can do. You sit on a chair, you can't sit on a shadow chair. And so this is easy to understand. The real things can do stuff. But the shadow of the real things cannot do those same things. And that's the same point that Hebrews is making here. The law was a copy. It was a shadow of the real heavenly realities. And it, so it could not do what the heavenly realities could do. The shadow sacrifices could not perfect those who offered them. They were offered over and over again, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. But in that repetition, over and over again, the insufficiency of those sacrifices was revealed. The inability of those sacrifices to perfect the one offering them. That inability was exposed. The shadow sacrifices could not perfect. Instead, they were pointing forward to the real sacrifice that was to come. The one real sacrifice that brings perfection forever. God is a perfect God, and because he is a perfect God, he requires perfection of anyone coming into his presence. That's why the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But animal sacrifices, because they are shadows, they cannot make anyone perfect. These were shadowy copies of the perfect once-for-all-time sacrifice that was to come. And so let's look at verses 2 to 4. Hebrews continues, he says, Otherwise... Would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so in verse 2, Hebrews proves his point with a rhetorical question. If a sacrifice had been offered that was good enough, that did satisfy God, fully, that, that did bring cleansing and forgiveness, then the sacrifices would have stopped, right? Imagine a man. Imagine a man, and he is sacrificing his 999th lamb. And he says to himself, one more, and then I'm finally done. Lamb number 1,000. After this, I don't have to do it anymore. The last lamb finally did the trick. I can now rest fully assured that I am accepted by God. My sin is forgiven and forgotten and gone. 
But then what happens when that man commits a sin one hour later? Is he still right with God? Is that sin forgiven? And so he goes looking for for lamb number 1001. And so the sacrifices, instead of giving us a rested and assured conscience, they are actually a constant reminder of sins. A constant reminder of sins, like a continual drip, 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 drip. Have you ever tried to go to sleep and there's a faucet dripping in the kitchen? And you can just barely hear it, but it's keeping you awake. And so you get up, and with all your strength, you, you, you tighten that tap as hard as you can, and you go back to bed, and you think, okay, that did it. And then 30 seconds later, drip, drip, drip. And you can't sleep, because all you can think about is that infernal drip. And that's what repeated sacrifices do. They are always weighing heavily on your conscience, pulling you down, reminding you of your sin. And so you're caught in this cycle of sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice. It's a cycle that you can't get out of. So the thought must eventually cross your mind, can the blood of these animals, these bulls and goats, can it actually take away my sin? No, Hebrews says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. If it were possible, then there would be no need for more sacrifice. Because just think, if a super bull or a super goat were sacrificed that achieved forgiveness, then that would be it. No more need to slaughter animals as substitutes for sinners because sin has been done away with, abolished, canceled, nullified. But because no shadowy animal sacrifices can accomplish forgiveness, it points to the need of something real to come. This isn't good enough. We need something better. We need something eternal. It points to the need. The shadow points to the need of the real thing to come. Shadow sacrifices cannot perfect. Our second point this morning, verses 5 to 10, the active and obedient, or sorry, the active and passive obedience of Jesus Christ. Let us read verses 5 to 7 again. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This is a quotation here. It's a quotation from the book of Psalms, the 40th chapter. And Hebrews has taken the words of King David in the 40th Psalm, And he has put them into the mouth of the incarnate Messiah as he is entering into the world and taking humanity to himself. And there are three main things here that Christ says through David, his ancestor. First of all, that God doesn't actually want the sacrifices that are being offered to him day after day in the tabernacle and later in the temple. See how that idea is repeated twice here, two times. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. And secondly, 
in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. So that's the first thing. These sacrificial offerings are not actually pleasing to God. Let's wrap our minds around that for a moment. That's what David is saying there. The Messiah through him. The second thing the Messiah says is that God has prepared a body for him. That is Christ's human body that will grow up in Nazareth. That will walk the roads of Israel. That will get tired and hungry. Experience pain. And ultimately that is the same body that will hang on the cross and die. So that's the second thing the Messiah says to King David. And the third, or well, not yet. But also notice how that statement about this body being prepared for me, it's sandwiched in between the two statements on God's dissatisfaction with sacrifices and offerings. So in contrast to these animal sacrifices, the Messiah has been given a body. The body of Jesus Christ would not be offered as a shadow sacrifice that cannot accomplish forgiveness. It would be offered as the real, capital S, sacrifice that can accomplish forgiveness. So that's the second thing, that God has prepared a body for the Messiah. The third thing here is in verse 7, where the Messiah declares, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. The Messiah has come to do what David and every other human being could not do. What could we not do? We could not do the will of God. The will of God is absolute moral perfection, and all of us have failed the standard of God's holy will. And so when the Bible asks, what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? When the Bible asks a question like that, you shouldn't hear that and say to yourself, hmm, yeah, I can do that. No, you can't. When the Bible asks, who can ascend the hill of the Lord and who can stand in his holy place but he who has clean hands and a pure heart? You should not hear that and say to yourself, hmm, yeah, I can do that. No, you can't. What is the will of God? What does God want from us? He wants us to be righteous and holy. But not just any righteousness and holiness. He wants us to be capital R righteous and capital H holy. As he is capital R righteous and capital H holy. So so then who can actually do the will of God? If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord... Who could stand? Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? All of us has become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our iniquities sweep us away. And now, here comes the Messiah, who steps up and says, Behold, here I am. I have come to do your will, O God. I have come to do your will. Continuing on, verse 8 to 10, it says, When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. 
He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So now Hebrews interprets this quotation from Psalm 40. He is basically saying that the sacrifices represented the failure of the Israelites to do the will of God. They couldn't obey him. They couldn't meet his perfect standards. They couldn't be holy as he is holy or righteous as he is righteous. And so the sacrifices themselves brought God no pleasure or satisfaction. But when Jesus comes along and says, here I am, I have come to do God's will perfectly and completely. And Hebrews says the first has surpassed and the second is established. Because the first is associated with failure to live up to God's will. But the second is victorious and successful and effective. And so verse 10 says that it is by this will, the perfect will of God met and accomplished by Jesus Christ through his perfect life. It's through this will that our sanctification is accomplished through his sacrifice on the cross. And so verse 10 is a key verse in our passage here because it's making reference to both aspects of Christ's perfect obedience, his active obedience and his passive obedience. Because see what it says here. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of Christ or the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The will and the body. So Christ's active obedience was 33 years of perfectly keeping the law. He was completely, capital R, righteous. And he carried out the will of his heavenly father in every way. That was the active obedience of Jesus Christ. The culmination of all this obedience was to go to the cross. It was the father's will that the son would die on the cross as an atoning sacrifice. And in the garden, Jesus prayed to the father, not my will, but yours be done. And so going to the cross was the passive obedience of Jesus Christ. It was passive in the sense that he allowed these terrible things to happen to him. And he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. So Jesus actively kept the law for his entire life. And he passively submitted to death on the cross. And both aspects of his obedience, the active and the passive, worked together perfectly. For without Christ's active obedience, his passive work on the cross would have no power. And without his passive obedience, his active keeping of God's holy law would have no meaning. And so both work together. Together, both the active life and the passive death of Jesus Christ have both meaning and power for all those who believe in him. The active obedience and passive obedience come together to provide for our sanctification. Christ's obedience is transferred into our account so that his holiness becomes our holiness. Our third point this morning, verses 11 to 14, we see this, that we are made perfect, yet we are being made holy. So verse 11 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had suffered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Look at the contrast Hebrews is making here. A normal priest stands, it says, but Jesus Christ 
has sat down. And why must the priest keep on standing? Because his service in the temple never ends. It's never complete. He must continually and repeatedly stand there offering sacrifices day after day. And the problem is that these sacrifices can never take away sins. Why has Jesus Christ sat down? Because his job is done. He has offered for all time one single sacrifice for sins. Therefore, it is a perfect sacrifice that cannot be added to. The shadow sacrifices could not take away sins. Therefore, they had to be repeated over and over again because they were imperfect. But Jesus was the real sacrifice that was perfect. And because it was perfect, it had to be offered one single time. Verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And so while Jesus rules the universe from the right hand of the throne of God, the plan of God continues as the enemies of Christ are steadily defeated and all are made to lie under his feet. All those who oppose Jesus Christ will one day lie vanquished before him. If you are not a servant of Jesus Christ, then you are his enemy. You will either bow before his feet in worship and adoration, or you will be crushed underneath his feet as an enemy. Verse 14 is another key verse. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sacrificed, or rather being sanctified. This is a truly beautiful verse. This is a verse that's worth memorizing because when, because when we pay close attention to the tense of these verbs, the beauty comes forth. So what does it say here? So Christ has perfected. That's in the past tense. It's complete. It's full. It's finished. Who has Christ perfected? Those who are being sanctified. That's in the present continuous tense. That's an ongoing, continuous process. We are growing in holiness. We are growing to be more like Christ. We are being set apart as holy to God. But as we are in the process of growth, at the same time we know that we have already been perfected by the perfect sacrifice of Christ. What a wonderful comfort that is. In Christ, I have been perfected even as I am being made holy. And this means that I am growing into the perfection that I already possess in Christ. But this also means that my perfection in Christ cannot increase, cannot get any more perfect, and it cannot decrease. It cannot get any less perfect. Why? Because it's not based on me. It's based on Christ and His perfection. But the balance here is that if I have been perfected in Christ by his sacrifice, then holiness is my goal. And holiness is what God is working within me by his Holy Spirit. God does not perfect people through Christ, whom he is not also sanctifying by his Holy Spirit. Those whom he perfects in Christ, he will also sanctify by the Holy Spirit. God does not pay 
for someone with the precious lifeblood of Jesus Christ and then leave them to themselves off in the corner somewhere. The Holy Spirit is bestowed to ensure that God gets his money's worth, so to speak. Our fourth point, last point this morning, verses 15 to 18. Sins forgiven and forgotten. Sins forgiven and forgotten. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their hands. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Here Hebrews is going back to Jeremiah chapter 31, that had prophesied about the coming of the new covenant. And Hebrews is pointing out that the new covenant had promised something very important. The new covenant promised in Jeremiah 31 had promised complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. It promised such a complete and total forgiveness that God would not even remember any longer the sins and iniquities that had been committed. God would literally forgive and forget. Now Jeremiah 31 had not told us upon what basis God would do this. It hadn't mentioned that, but Hebrews is saying that as Christians, we know and we understand exactly upon what basis God can forgive and forget all of our transgressions on the basis of Christ's perfect once-for-all-time sacrifice. And Hebrews says in verse 18 that if this forgiveness is so complete and robust, then it follows that a perfect offering has occurred, such that no sacrifices are now necessary anymore. So in the new covenant, something has happened that has completely satisfied the justice of God. Something has happened that has completely satisfied the justice of God, such that he can forgive utterly and completely, even to the point of no longer, for, no longer remembering our sin. A sacrifice to end all sacrifices has been presented and has been fully accepted as pleasing to God. And we know what that sacrifice is. The beloved Son of God, the Lord of glory, the innocent and pure spotless Lamb of God who offered himself up on the altar of the cross. A perfect sacrifice has brought perfect forgiveness. Now, when I stand before God, drenched in the blood of Jesus Christ, the great accuser, the devil, says to God, but what about all of Jake's sins? What about all the times that he has broken your holy law? What about all the times he's been a stench in your holy nostrils? What about all of his disobedience and rebellion? And God looks at me and simply says, what sin? I don't remember any of that. I don't see any sin. I just see the perfect blood of my beloved son, Jesus. And so we have seen this morning that shadow sacrifices can do nothing to perfect anyone approaching God in worship. For the blood of bulls and goats cannot truly take away sin. But Jesus came along. The eternal son sent into the world and he said, Behold, 
Here I am. I have come to do your will, O God. And Jesus lived out the perfect will of God with a perfect life. This was his active obedience. And he went to the cross in passive obedience to secure redemption for his bride, the church, his elect sheep. And so we have been made perfect by that sacrifice, even though we are still in process. We are being made holy. We are being conformed to the image of Christ, confident that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. And we stand now in right relationship to God, in new covenant with him, where our sins have been totally forgiven and forgotten. All because a sufficient sacrifice to end all other sacrifices has been offered by Jesus and accepted by God. And what an assurance that brings to think that I am already perfect in the eyes of God. Yet, at the same time, I'm also being made holy to match that perfection. It is like I'm wearing the perfect righteousness, capital R righteousness of Christ upon me, but it is 10 sizes too big. And so I'm like a little kid wearing his dad's dress suit. The sleeves are way too long. The hem of his pants drags along the ground. The shoulders sag to one side. The tie reaches down past his knees. Christ's righteousness doesn't fit me at all, but I am slowly growing into it. And it will never fit perfectly in this life, but one day, I will be transformed to fit into that capital R righteousness perfectly. For I will be glorified to be like Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we are so grateful that not only did you provide those shadow sacrifices that pointed forward to the real one to come, but you also kept your promise in the new covenant to provide a perfect, once for all, sacrifice in the form of your son, Jesus Christ. For the blood of bulls and goats cannot truly take away sin. But Jesus came and said, here I am to do your will, O God. And he did in every single way. So that he could truly be our perfect substitute so that we could wear his perfection upon us, even while we are still growing into it. And so, Father, the call from your word is that we do continue to grow, that we don't get tired or weary in our growth and holiness, that we don't turn around and go backwards when we should be going forwards, that we don't atrophy and, and go the wrong direction in growing, but rather we grow forward and upward. We press on that upward way out of a sense of, of thanksgiving for all Christ has done for us. Because how ungrateful it would be, Father, to let our growth atrophy and decline when Jesus has done so much for us. 
And so, Father, give us that that will and that desire and that drive and that motivation to pursue the holiness that pleases you. Not because it can make us any more perfect. Our perfection is already complete in Christ. But out of that response of gratitude and appreciation for all that you've done, Father, Let us run this race that you have marked out for us. Let us run it well and run it hard so that you would be pleased with us, Father. We grow in our love for you, for your word, and for your people. So the world would know that we belong to Jesus Christ. Father, help us to continue growing in holiness, into the perfection that we already wear in Christ Jesus before your holy presence. Father, when the accuser whispers accusations in our ear, Father, even let us come to this passage and say we have a perfect sacrifice that Christ has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Thank you, Father, that you are not finished with us yet. Thank you for the promise of your word that in those that you have begun the good work, you will bring to completion. So we give you thanks, Father, for all of these things. We give you glory and honor and praise for only you are worthy of them all. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray all these things. Amen.